Welcome to the Chess Underground. Eccentricities, peculiarities, and theoretical novelties. Okay, welcome back to the Chess Underground. This is uh, episode 7, October 2019, and I'm here with Henry Getz. Um, Henry, I will let you introduce yourself. I am Henry. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Henry. Henry Getz, uh, Dr. Henry Getz. Um, and Henry, you know, uh, thank you for coming on, first of all. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Uh, one, of, one of the things that I thought um, was interesting that, that I thought we could start is, you know, you've had quite a, quite a fascinating experience with chess. Um, so, so walk me through, you know, what got you into the game when you were a kid? Uh, well, when I was a, a kid, when I first started off, well, you know, Mike, Mike Leale, um, he just happened to be the guy doing the chess program where I was. And, uh, Father Sweeney, elementary school. Actually, no, I got him the year before. I got him uh, St. Uh, Thomas. Oh, okay. All right. So his son, Matthew, had severe scoliosis. And, uh, you know, Mike, being Mike, said, well, it's kind of like that Rocky thing, you know, you can't fight, so you uh, better be, be able to think kind of a thing. So he got mad in the chess when, uh, when he was pretty young, and then I caught him on the, uh, the chess club at St. Thomas, third grade. Yeah. When you were a scholastic player, as I remember, um, you were actually, like, really tough. <laughs> one, one summer you just went away to chess camp and came back crushing everybody. So, I mean... You're saying it's different now? <laughs> Fair point, sir. Um, I guess, I remember, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but you won a couple of state titles back in the day. Uh, yeah, I won 6th, 7th, 8th grade. Uh, yeah. And in Illinois, you know, those are not something to sneeze at. Those are pretty challenging competitions. There was some good competition when we were kids. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But what's interesting to me is is you sort of did something then that a lot of players do, but then you took another step that I find not a lot of players do. What you did was you stopped playing for a while, mm-hmm. right? You basically quit the game. Well, I don't know if quit the game is an appropriate term. No, I quit the game, yeah. I think a lot of people, you know, they stop playing, but they still kind of maybe are a fan, you know, they'll play on their phone or like they'll watch tournaments or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you came back <clears throat> and that's what I wanted to ask you about. Um, today and, and start there. So what got you back into it? The game of chess? Uh, well, well, I came back most recently, what was it, December 2017, uh, when the Alpha Zero news was kind of hitting chess.com. I think chess.com was the site I even was reading it on. Okay. When Alpha Zero just destroyed Stockfish 8. Mm-hmm. Um, which was the theoretical perfect engine at that point. I mean, Stockfish 8 was, was, um, was excellent. So I, I, I can't remember the results. Do you remember the results of that first 2017 bout? But it was bad. It was very lopsided. It was bad, yeah. 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 I think something like 11 wins only for Stockfish out of 1,000 games or something crazy like that. The first one. I can't remember the exact results. The last match they did at 1,000. I think the first one was 200. But uh, Yeah. But, um, it's funny because what human could play a match that long? Yeah. You know, Nakamura was saying, you know, uh, his famous quote was that um, even a god would have trouble beating Stockfish on, on a good day. And I'm paraphrasing that a little bit. <laughs> Sounds about right, actually. Yeah. I mean, you know, an Alpha Zero beating it that much was... Uh, uh, but anyways, I'm kind of going on a tangent. 
I saw that and I, I was reading and I really got into the style of play that Alpha Zero was going into. It was, it was tall, you know? I mean, it was hyper-aggressive. Sacrifices in the open. Yeah, you know? And it's like, what? How does that work? You know, it's like, a, do you need to defend? <laughs> right. It was interesting. So, um, yeah, that was kind of the first snippet that got me a little bit interested in just the sport. But then what really got me interested um, was it was the first time I ever heard anybody talk about the standards of analysis for stockfish. Cause you know, the stockfish people got very defensive when they lost. Well, that wasn't a real match. Stockfish didn't have dot, 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 and dot, you know, and they listed it off. I'm like, well, I can go get that. You know, I can do this at home and I could have something that could maybe be on that that echelon uh, of competition. Yeah, so I know you work a lot um, with computers in terms of in terms of chess. Uh, so could you elaborate on that? Like, what um, what were the elements that you thought I, I could get that? I could I could create that basically. So um, it was a lot of blog reading. Um, Stockfish's official release, and they were talking about depth of analysis, the actual computer settings and i think a lot of that got lost in the shuffle i think a lot of the people that heard that was just like oh you know another engine being another engine you know um great it'd be stockfish it's incredible but how does that change my life at all and i was reading it and uh saw that a lot of this is you know uh, those matches were played with a minute aside and but yeah uh per per move okay and with you know supercomputers, you're talking uh, ten thousand plus costing computers, uh, but you could do this at home. I mean, I, I was reading it; it's just processing speed. So um, I went through it, and I just realized quickly that I could literally do this on a five-year-old computer tower that uh, didn't cost hardly anything. So I was like, "Well, let's try it, and maybe I'm wrong, right? Maybe I'm wrong. We'll try it and see if it actually produces any results that mean anything." So. But as I as I understand, you did produce some results. Oh, yeah. This is something interesting that happened. You you pointed it. So so I don't know. Where did you start? Did you start looking at openings? Is that where you began, or did you start having the engine play against itself or other engines? Where did you begin this whole um, journey down the rabbit hole? Well, yeah, I, I quit chess for ten years. You know, I had I had a bit of a background, um, but when you first come back, everything is so rusty. I, I think I did start at the opening because it's the first thing. Um, and, you know, uh, most people that do chess engine analysis will tell you never do opening analysis. Why is that? Uh, because the complexities can be lost. Just It's kind of like too early and just the sheer amount of viable moves. Mm. It will overwhelm your analysis. The, just to have good computation, mm. it will have to remove moves that might be preferable. You know? Okay. So... You lose a little bit if you if you um, look at an opening. That was convention. Okay. But uh, when I was reading about the stockfish versus Alpha Zero, they took out so much of the opening tree, so it wasn't playing from an open. The end game books weren't weren't loaded up the same way they normally are in the uh, supercomputer matches. The um, the opening and end game weren't there. None of that was there. So it was pretty much just pure computation versus pure computation hmm. but uh i realized if you just put it in the right settings you could 
do openings. And it wasn't that tough. You just had to give it enough time to figure out what was what, essentially. You know. You explained your setup a little bit to me because so so a little bit of background here. Um, I was interested in some of the opening work you were doing after you showed me this line in the Budapest. Oh yeah. Um, and it was just sort of a, a, a fascinating line. And, um, I want, I'll, I'll just walk through it a bit. So maybe you could walk me through it Sure, sure. because I want our listeners to maybe be able to follow along. We've got a chessboard here in front of us and I would encourage them to do the same. So the line of the Budapest is D4, Knight F6, C4, E5, D5, right? Knight mm-hmm. G4, and yeah, now standard so far. E4, correct? Yeah, that was that's that's a common move. That wasn't the novelty, but um, right. Yeah. This is a common move, as I remember. Though it's not like one of the favorite moves to be played. E4. E4? Yeah, no. I mean, yeah, it's not. It, it's a move. It's a known move, right? But it's not. It's not considered maybe the best treatment against the Budapest. Okay, so let's finish the line. So E4 for White, and now Black plays. Takes the pawn, takes, it takes the pawn. e5, and now here's where it got really interesting. <laughs> yeah, um, and and I sort of jokingly call this the getsa pass because it's such a weird position that I don't know many people would even go and for. It's extremely annoying, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's extremely annoying to play against, right? Okay, so let's go through that one more time just so that everybody, in case they're following along, we'll just play the moves this time. Sure thing. Uh, okay, so d4, knight f6, c4, e5, d5, knight g4. E4, knight takes E5, and now F4, right? And black essentially has two choices, knight G6 or knight C6. Mm-hmm. And as I recall, the fun stuff is with knight G6, correct? Yeah, they actually, they both get kind of crazy. But yeah, knight G6 throws people for a loop too. So you were, you were using the engine, or you were using your computer setup to analyze the Budapest, and it it found this move that I think is like so like so non-human that it's just hilarious in in many ways. Exactly, it's totally uh, anti-theory. Right, it's anti-theory. It's anti. It's anti. I I don't want. I I almost want to go as far as to say it's anti-chess. This move yeah. <laughs> because you're looking at a position. If you have this set up on your board, white has no pieces developed. Their king is open, exposed. Yeah, exposed. Yeah. yeah. Um, black has a knight out already, and their king is not exposed. And in this position, white plays. Yeah, h four. Yeah, let's 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 see if we can give a pawn away. <laughs> I mean, it makes no sense. Right, yeah. just offering up a free pawn, pawn h yeah. four, yeah. which can be taken. Um, and yeah. sort of the point is, it can kind of be taken. I mean, it's not a, it's not for free, really. It's right, like, right. Well. Uh, appears that it can't yeah, be taken. Exactly. Maybe we should say it that way. And the idea is if knight takes h4, another like anti-chess move almost, pawn f5. Yeah, no, what is this? Uh, what pawn move in a row is this? Right, white has begun the game with, I, I lost count, you know, like exactly. seven, eight, nine pawn moves. Yeah, we probably have two more pawn moves to go. Right, pawn g3. <laughs> <laughs> and then pawn takes f5. So I guess... Uh, you know, you were saying you. Uh, let's get back to that. You were saying you have to kind of narrow the computer down and push it in a direction when you're working at openings. Yeah, I mean, so how did you start getting in this direction, <laughs> this well, anti-chess direction? Well, um, in this and well, if you get used to the world of computers, I mean, you've seen it. It just gets weird. It's like we're not. We're so limited that we. 
They've shown us you can defend what we used to think was indefensible. They've shown us positions that just don't quite look right. But if you really get into it, there's a lot of lot of things to work with. It, it becomes a very weird world very quickly, you know? But I think if you stay in that world long enough, you kind of get used to the idea of the weirdness. Does that kind of translate? <laughs> so if you stay with the weird long enough, you get used to the weirdness. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, I understand what you're saying. You know, we look at, yeah, you can sort of, um, I mean, not every game, but you can certainly see in like grandmaster play the influence of computers. You know? Oh, totally. I mean, uh, it, they are the standard by what we are learning nowadays. I mean, the, uh, particularly stockfish is the standard for openings. I mean, if you take stockfish and let it go to a acceptable depth, that is the standard of chess. I mean, that, that is theory. It's not human, human brought anymore. A lot of it is, you know, um, you take that and then you try it and you see if it actually works for you and your style. But I mean, that's essentially what chess theory is, is computer, computer born. Yeah. I, and one of the things you said earlier, which particularly strikes me or rings true for me is, you know, things we thought were good or things we thought were bad, you know, we're sort of learning, wait a minute, you know, maybe, maybe you can break this rule or you can do something different. Now you described your actual, as I was saying, this line in the Budapest um, sort of got me interested in what you were doing, Mm -hmm. um, especially when you started showing me some of the lines and playing it out to a depth. Yeah, yeah. But you explained a little bit your actual computer setup at home. Oh, yeah. And you have it also, I think you said, like linked to your phone. Oh, yeah. So so you can maybe look at a line and kind of give it direction while you're out and about, right? Oh, so, uh, yeah. At the gym on an elliptical. You can, <laughs> I mean, that's what I was actually doing, you know? Yeah. So could you, for our listeners, could you walk them through how you have your engine set up to work through openings, to analyze openings, what that looks like, and et cetera. Just basically, you know, sure. tell us your build. Let me first off just say, let's dispel a, uh, a misconception. It does not take money to do chess analysis at all. Um, I think my setup per computer, I mean, I'm talking like five-year-old computer towers. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking like Intel technology from the early 2000s. It doesn't matter. Really? Okay. It's it's just, you need a dedicated tower, pretty much, that you can just let sit. And that's pretty much all it is. I mean, per tower on Amazon, and what was this, two years ago? I mean, it was like 120 bucks per computer tower. Okay. That's it. So, you know, I just put it next to the TV, plugged it into the TV, and um, away we go. How many towers do you use? I, I, you know, you know, I went crazy. Are you, yeah. Do you want to go there now? I mean, I we, do, we can, yes, I'm curious. <laughs> I, I do want to know. Yeah. What does this take? How many towers do you use? Well, as many as I can is the kind of short answer. I got eight computer towers on the floor next to the TV now, which is as much as uh, my fuses will allow. Now, are you running? So let me ask you a question. A couple questions. Yeah. Are you running Stockfish Eight on all of them? Do you use different engines? Do you experiment? What do you do? You, uh, you. Well, I do. I mean, it's nice to know how other engines think about the same problem, and you know, it's kind of like just ask a friend. Well, I'm not asking a friend in this case. I'm asking another engine what it thinks, and then comparing the two. Okay, so you are using multiple engines. Oh gosh, yes, yes, yes. And when you're when you're looking at a line, so for example, the the quote unquote gets a pass here with this uh, H4 mm-hmm. move. 
Are you using all towers to look at the same line or are you looking at different opening lines on different towers? Meaning yeah. tower one is the Budapest, tower two is something completely different, the French, let's say. Well, let or are me, they all focused let on Let me this? describe the process because okay. I think yeah, people, that's what I want to know. people think there's more to this than there really is. I mean, so let's start off. You're an average chess player, right? You yes. go to club. True. That is a true statement. Well, no, no, I don't mean. No, I don't. No, I didn't. Go ahead. Sorry. But you, you go to chess club like everybody else does, you know, just like the average Joe does. And then you have, you know, four positions. You're like, I just don't know. It was an opening, maybe. Maybe it's a middle game. But if you can just remember the position and go home and put in a computer, I mean, that would be. It's like having Kasparov give you. This is what I think. But you get Kasparov for like just a blip. Yeah. Right. No and you moves. only get moves. You don't get like comments. Exactly. So there's a little bit of I have to actually understand it stuff going on. Right. But I mean, that's that's valuable. How is that not valuable? So you go from that chess club to next morning, just put it in the computer. You're right. And uh, the way I did it was that computer tower on the ground. You know, um, I opened up uh, Google Chrome browser. Uh, the site that you showed me, Chess Temple, that's what I used for analysis. So I didn't even have to like download Stockfish necessarily. Okay. Yeah, they have an onboard engine. Right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you just use theirs. Uh, really? And what is what is that? Twenty bucks a year? It's nothing. Powerful enough to do the type of analysis you're. Oh, you know, you let it sit for twelve hours. Anything is powerful enough. Okay. I mean, that's essentially what we're talking about. Is if I only want to spend ten minutes a day really doing this, how do I do it? That's what I tried to. That was my goal. I don't want to spend all day. <laughs> The 10 minutes a day chess study plan. Yeah, no. I mean, like, let's be realistic. Who has time to sit and do chess engine analysis nonsense, uh, you know, um, until I'm homeless or whatever? You know? <laughs> sure. Uh, but so the thing is, you just put it in to Chess Tempo, you know, great site. Um, the way I did it on Chess Tempo is uh, you can open a link. Like, there's lots of sites like this. You open a link to a position, you know. Um, that uses a very, very, very basic notation called FEN, right. which you can save as a tab. You know, so I basically had a bookmark folder mm -hmm. on Google Chrome full of positions that I just felt like I needed to have the engine take a look at. Okay, so and, you know, and um, so by take a look at, you mean it's just stuff that needs needs to be run in an engine that I would like to. Sure, and and I guess where what I was going to ask is that position. Um, you're focused specifically on like a, like let's say an opening tabia, or is it a critical moment in a game? You know what what type of what sort of position? what do I typically? Yeah, yeah. what do you what, what I guess maybe what's your clue or what's your marker that this is a position I want to look at more in depth for twelve hours with my eight computer towers? Yeah, uh, well. It's complexity. I mean, it's whatever you don't understand is great for computers. I mean, if you don't understand this position that we're looking, that we described with the Getzepest. <laughs> with Knight on H4. Yeah, you know, well, what do you do? The computer doesn't know English. But you can take it a move. You can you can say, well, let's let's try uh, doing this and then see what the engine says. And why is that a bad move or a good move? So, you know, you might take one crazy position. To start with, but then you have to maybe have eight new crazy positions just to understand that. And it's kind of the issue with engines is we the understanding of what they're telling you. Right. Interpreting yeah, the, I mean, that's, the mass of evaluation that they give. But precisely. Yeah. Because sometimes, you know, I can't tell you how many times I, I've seen this as a chess coach and as a player. 
you'll look at a position and you'll think, oh, this is good for one side or the other. And you'll go plug it into the engine and it's like, no, you're dead loss, you know, and, and, and trying to make sense of that. And then also interpreting that, you know, am I dead lost because of some really complicated, impossible variation that's, you know, very hard to find over the board? Or am I dead lost because I overlooked something? You know, there's a lot of interpretation necessary. Oh, totally. So um, maybe that maybe that's a good question. How do you interpret those results? You know, is it just length of time and then I've got to go through, I've got to comb through each line individually? Or is there, you yeah. said 10 minutes a day. So how do you, <laughs> how okay. do you stick to that? So we were talking about, let me just, I need to simplify this because there's just almost too much to, to kind of talk about. But for an engine, for stock, let's just say for Stockfish 8, let's just start there because that was the standard, right? In those games, it typically got up to about four gigabytes of analysis. You know, you go to stock. That's just now, those home. games, you mean the games with Alpha Zero? Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. All right. So it kind of so got four to... gigs of analysis per game, rough average. Yeah, which was great because in the blogs, they have computer programmers and chess GMs saying, well, that's not enough because. And I was like, well, I can work with that because I understand what you guys are telling me. So the chess engines start to become positional in their analysis around eight gigabytes. Okay. That's kind of the magic tipping point for a lot of the opening stuff. That and by positional, do you mean more strategic long-term planning? Or what, yeah. What exactly do you mean by Well, the position I remember exactly was a Roy Lopez that the Stockfish 8 blundered. Not horribly, but it was making... Positionally um, unsound moves in your judgment? Not, not even unsound, just not the best. Okay. You know, like, um, I think it did the, you know, the Roy uh, Lopez for white, it was Stockfish. It moved the Rook onto the E-file. Mm. And then it should have moved the knight to the F1 square, which is kind of typical. Mm. It didn't do that because it wasn't working with an opening book. It was just using its pure computation. Right, sure. So at eight gigabytes, you could prove that it became positional because, you know, if you think about it, it goes far enough out. It has no choice but to become positional to get to the best scenario. Sure. Right. So it's do in other words, it's doing such a, a depth of analysis that by sheer brute force of calculation, yes. it's quote-unquote playing position. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, exactly. Very well put. So my thought was, great, if that's the tipping point, let's double it, and let's do that analysis. And uh, you, you see, like, uh, some of the positions I let go for 24 hours, and we'll, we'll let go 50 gigabytes worth of, um, you know, like, right. you know let's, uh, let's just come back a day later. I mean, I don't need to see it every 12, you know. Um, but the standard is important, but it's not, it's not, uh, and the standard is four gigabytes. Is that what you're saying? Well, that was, that was how it lost to alpha zero. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I'd say eight gigabytes should be a good standard for Stockfish eight. So, um, speaking of alpha zero, I'm like always fascinated by AI mm -hmm. and I, I don't know how familiar you are with the whole, um, alpha program with Google, but they also had an alpha go, mm -hmm. a go match against the go world champion. Um, you mentioned a fascination with AI as well. Mm -hmm. You know, my understanding, and maybe you can, maybe you're the right person to ask about this, but my understanding about how an engine like Alpha Zero works is it's vastly different than Stockfish. Um, whereas it's more of like, it, it, it sort of learns by playing games against itself, by playing games in general and, and building a database and building yeah. an algorithm. Is that correct? Or could you shed some light on that? 
Well, I, I well, I guess you're not a Google developer, so I'm no, 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 yeah, but well, I can I can only repeat what I've kind of read from others, like Sadler, the, the British GM, did a very great job of explaining exactly what he thought was going on okay. inside the mind. Um, basically, what they did is they just took a self-learning neural network. It's not your typical CPU. Okay. It's it's kind of like nodes is the a great way to think about it. You have like a lot of input from the top and a lot of output on the bottom. And then you just keep integrating that over and over again so that it can actually get pattern recognition. It's really fascinating. The, you know, I mean, all this stuff is so complicated. I mean, it's, it's as complicated as the brain, which, you know, I don't know how well we understand that, to be honest, either. Uh, but, but... Basically, they took that kind of a concept, you know, deep learning. It was just what we described. Sure. A deep as in the number of, you know, layers of nodes that you're going to have there. And uh, they plugged that into a NASA supercomputer for, for what was it, four hours? Hmm. And then, uh, yeah, and then it became theoretically perfect. <laughs> just a chess engine. It's, it's almost sci-fi-ish, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, it does. A lot of times it does feel that way when I think about, you know, how we use the technology. And I'm always fascinated by the fact that, you know, we talk about standards, right? Yeah. I'm always fascinated by the fact that chess is almost a standard for the AI industry, you know, meaning if we can develop an AI that beats humans in chess, we're sort of on the right track. Yeah. You know? Maybe that's like the first step in the stepping stones to creating. Um, and Kasparov had some amazing uh, YouTube snippets on AI. I mean, you know, he, Oh, he, he was one of the first to do uh, versus IBM. and, and Right, uh, of course, Deep Blue, yeah. the famous match. Oh, and he, it, it, it never left him. I mean, he kept with it for years and years. And he thinks AlphaZero is maybe the beginning of what we're seeing of second-level AI, which is AI that is learning from itself, essentially. He thinks this might be the beginning, but it's hard to say yet. It's still kind of being pushed along by programmers and people a little bit. Right. Yeah, you know, and it, it's fascinating to see how quickly something like that takes influence or take takes hold. You know, if you just look at the World Champions Games from this year, yeah. he's playing a lot of you know pawn sacrifices in the opening, more dynamic positions. Um, so it's mm. it's really cool. I, I I'm fascinated by that sort of stuff. Well, it, you know, um, on a side on a side note, I think engines have made chess incredibly difficult to play on, on multiple levels. I mean, <laughs> I know. Yeah. Right. Here's here's a fun We've here. developed we've developed this really funny quote. Sorry to cut you off there, no, but no. you've you've probably heard like strong players now, you know, whenever somebody plays an opening that's not like as main theory, they just say, he just wants to play chess, you know, the commentators. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like how did that enter into the vernacular, right? Like yeah. we've been playing chess for hundreds of years and now we have the comment but now it's chess chess he just wants to play chess yeah he just wants a game of chess you know so. here's a fun crazy fact for you so set the you know start from the no no moves are on the board right, right so you know like what's what is the best opening move uh, by the database, does this mean according to what first move best percentage win like not draw but just overall win percentage by move number one for white okay now is, i'm assuming this is in games between humans okay i'll make it fair only after 2018 and only super GM level competition. Okay, so the, the let's review the stipulations of my guess here. So I'm trying to guess the highest scoring move for white mm -hmm. in terms of white win percentage. Mm -hmm. Okay, between 
Grandmaster, you said Super Grandmaster? Super Grandmaster. So what, where do you qualify that? 2600, 2650? 2700 Most people would say 27. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So highest scoring opening move, 2700 plus after year 2018 mm-hmm. for white. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Did I get all the stipulations mm-hmm. correct? Okay. Wow. I mean, my first instinct is that it's going to be something very offbeat because it's less studied. Well, you know me. And, <laughs> right? and those lines tend to be... You know, uh, for lack of a better term, um, they trend towards more decisive results. But the kicker is it's super GM level. So you got to right. take that into consideration. So I can't play a move like Knight A3. And get away with it, it probably. Well, let yeah. me ask one more question if I can cheat a little more. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Is there a minimum sample size? It's over meaning 100. Like, meaning like if there was one game and you won. No, it, I'm not, not going to do that to where it's like 100%. But it's, I believe it was over 100. So it was not insignificant. So a decent sample size. Yeah, I think it was a top. Fairly one. high sample size. Yeah. <sighs> okay. I'm just going to go with my gut and because it's my favorite move anyway. Sure. Uh, the orangutan, B4. Oh, you're so close. <laughs> no? One too far. B3. Really? B3 the Larson. Okay. By a considerable margin. Mm. I just think well, it's, it's, it's of course no, no. because white just wants to play chess. And the, yeah, exactly, <laughs> precisely to your point. Yeah, I mean, what lunatic would do supercomputer analysis on the move B three? Right, because well, you first you can change it into so many things. Right, you could double fianchetto, you could follow with that four. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, actually a great uh, winning super GM line, mm. the best. I mean, by a hefty margin, D four E four. You know the stats. It's like what 53 percent win. For white, I mean, a little little less than that, I think, close to. Something like that. And then the B3 lines were getting above 60%. I mean, it was it was pretty considerable. Enough huh. to make you say, huh, at a super GM level, where, you know, they've seen most tricks. Right. You know. You know, what's interesting is what, what lunatic would study B3. I actually had to play Pavel Blotny <laughs> a few years ago. And he's, not, he's not a super GM, but he's a GM. And I had to play him at a Chicago Open, and I, I knew he frequently opened with B3. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually did some. I mean, I didn't do, like, computer analysis. I just looked up some ideas and tried to be ready to just play chess. Oh, yeah. <laughs> as you will. Well, you know, yeah. And then I promptly screwed it up. But, you know, what can you do? Well, you know, and not that, but. Else. <laughs> <laughs> I promptly successfully screwed it up. Um, successfully. There we go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's just a weird world we live in. Where, um. You know, and it goes to Magnus. You know, uh, Magnus is famous for doing anti-engine moves. You'll you'll go through Magnus games with an engine, and like he'll have like a you know a plus point six plus point seven advantage over the other guy, and then he'll do something like put his knight to a middle square and offer a trade, doubling his pawns, and it gives him like a negative. Point three evaluation. I mean, he's, that's a considerable jump, right? But he he wins with doing that all the time. I mean, it's it's every game he's doing something like that. Mm-hmm. So engines aren't everything, right? But it, it's it's a such a powerful tool you can't ignore it. So I mean, it is it's an interesting world we live in. So. Um, transitioning a bit, you know, I, I just mentioned the Chicago Open, so I figure this is a good time to bring it up. Oh, sure. You've been inviting me regularly, and I feel bad for not having a time to make it up there yet. Sure, sure. But um, 
My most recent guest on the show was uh, National Master William Aramal, who is a staple of the Chicago chess blitz scene. You are also from Chicago. And as I understand, uh, one of the things that you started doing or maybe got you back into chess as an adult, and I have to say, you know, just from my perspective, uh, you're a lot harder to beat now. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So whether it's the computer engines or this, I'm not sure. But you got involved in the Chicago blitz chess scene, which is quite a big scene these days oh it's amazing um could you tell us a little bit about your experience there um well the chicago scene is so much bigger than when you were when we were kids like okay locally and a lot of people probably have this because not everybody lives in a big city locally what we had the two or three guys that pretty much knew what they were doing you know like um a couple 1900s yeah, <laughs> yeah. To, to, to sharpen your teeth on i mean that's kind of the meat of it and uh you go to chicago and it's like uh well Great, I beat the 2100, but so what? Let's try the 23. And the 23, you know, he was a little more challenging. I don't know if I can get much higher than that. How many GMs do you want to try today? I mean, it's it's so fun to just work in that sort of a landscape uh, with with, uh, with with styles and chess and just, uh, yeah, it's amazing. I just love it. Now, you told me a story about a meeting at a McDonald's where you guys got thrown out or something <laughs> like that. Am I, am I paraphrasing incorrectly here? Could you walk me through what happened there? Yeah. Okay. Didn't think you'd bring that up today, but okay. <laughs> I mean, the people want to know. This is the chess underground, not the chess above ground. Okay. Well, okay. On the south side of Chicago, it's different. Can we start there? Sure. Just yeah. like open and ambiguous for first statement? Of course. Yeah. People have chess brands. Um chest tattoos. Everybody has a chest nickname. Most people I don't know their last name. Do you have a chest nickname? I do. What? (laughs) Can I ask what it is? They call me Grandmaster. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Which I think started as like a slight insult when it's, it's a really sort of like biting thing when you lose. Right. And they're like Grandmaster. Yeah. It's like, right. But uh, the other thing about the South side is other than that, uh, the tattoos is they, they do, they throw a little bit of money. I mean, it's like a dollar or two a game. It's nothing sure. big. But that's enough that McDonald's will sometimes take an issue with it. <laughs> so you mean the McDonald's does not allow? <clears throat> not officially. Not allow under the table gambling. Not officially. Underground gambling, if you will. Oh, yeah. For big money, a dollar or two. Yes. Right. But, yeah. yeah, no, they, they, they're not a fan of it necessarily. But, I mean, it's it's not. You know, it, it's, it's more like uh, there's a dollar or two, and then you're on the south side of Chicago with people with, you know, just um, chess brands, you know. Um, you, you literally will be sitting at a table with um, a guy who's an ex-drug dealer and a priest <laughs> and your local community representative at the same tables. And then that guy who's a lawyer, too, and the guy who runs a chess taekwondo center. Um, Daniel, we're trying to get, I'm, I'm oh, trying Danny, to get Daniel, Daniel on the show. Yeah. Oh, I'd love for him to come he would be great. To have him. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, what you're saying here is sort of what I find to be true about chess is that it's, it's just wherever you are and you're playing it, it's really is a universal language, mm-hmm. you know, and especially when you get into a big city environment. Oh yeah. It's interesting. Uh, uh, I was at a Mariano's playing with a friend and a guy that spoke no English came over and apparently he used to be a GM in Turkey, in Turkey, Okay. spoke no English, sat down and kicked my, kicked my hiney, mm-hmm. um, for two or three rounds and, you know, said nothing, got up to thank you. And then he, <laughs> then he left, but you know, Chicago's fun like that. Yeah. yeah. 
It's a lot of people doing that. That's cool, man. So I, I, I remember, you know, we used to go play on the lakefront and places like that, but yeah. it sounds like there's, and, and I found this to be true too, when I get up there every now and then, there's a lot more activity going on now. I saw just this weekend, there was a match, mm-hmm. there was a Chicago chess blitzers match. Yeah. Um, you know, they play other cities, that sort of thing. They have like a traveling team. It's kind of fun, yeah. you know, and it's um, city versus city and uh, a lot of blitz. You know, like that's that's another thing to the the engine world. You can't pull an engine out as easily if you're playing a blitz game. You know, it's one well, of that's those. That's true. Yeah, you know, it, it lends itself more towards just playing, just play chess. Yeah, the, the, the human side of it, I guess, is what you can call it. Yeah, and things like not playing. You know, in blitz, I often find you try to play the most optimal move, but sometimes a complex a, a complex enough move will do. Well, <laughs> you know what I mean? When I came back, that was the worst. Was was being almost baited mm-hmm. with a position that you know in your gut you you have it won, but it's like you have to solve it now. Like Benoni's, uh, you know, uh, when do I do the center break? Right, e five. Right. I mean, I remember texting you, and this is just driving me crazy, Pete. I'm I'm gonna lose my mind going through Benoni positions. <laughs> well, you can do it on eight computers for twenty four hours a day, Henry. <laughs> yeah. Right. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think. Um, that's it's interesting because that's something will and i were just talking about and it sounds like you're on the opposite side of that where i asked will you know i said what's your blitz secret and he said uh well sometimes just make a move <laughs> you know let let the other guy be a perfectionist and, and make a move and, and continue i think that's what some blitz is which is torture the other guy you know like give him something that he has to come up with the right answer like a benoni um if you get the f4 push in on a benoni Mm, you don't have all day to think. I mean, they're going to eventually come back and tear your center apart. Mm. So you don't have for forever. It's kind of like a, a, um, a very time-sensitive issue, depending on your minds. But uh. So I'm curious, you know, um, you came back to chess, so let's just recap and review. Okay. Played as a Scholastic player, took a long break, sure, sure. came back a couple years ago, yeah. worked with the engines, mm-hmm. played some blitz, you know, some informal games, and then you started playing tournaments. Oh yeah. What was you know um, as you as you know I I coach chess. I have some some students and I have some adult students mm-hmm. who are very apprehensive about tournaments in particular mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons. One of them is what you mentioned, you know, engines and mm-hmm. do you have to worry about this? Do you have to worry about that? Um, I think some of it is just you know the nervousness of this is a hobby and now I'm kind of taking it to the next level. Mm-hmm. What was the most difficult part for you about getting back into tournament play? Well, I got family. I mean, honestly, for me, it was mm, time. If I take my children to a chess tournament, I guarantee you I'm playing about 400 points lower than where I'm <laughs> It's It's you know. really just 400 because if my two were there, I'd, I'd play probably like a 13. Like this last tournament. You know, my son, is, my son is amazing. My son is great. But my son left the iPad on the table and, you know, in the middle of a game. Where's your iPad? Great, let's go look for that. Well, I gotta, you know, sit down and, and play. You know, stuff like that. Just... Meanwhile, your clock is running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Against, by the way, a, a, a child. <laughs> you know, which is the other fun part of modern day. Right. There's just so many more advanced kids doing this. That's true. There are a lot of young players these days. Yeah. So the hardest part was just balancing family with the tournaments, or for me, yeah. But you know, honestly, I was all, I always loved tournament. I mean, it was a thing that was not. I had no apprehension for it. Mm. I love the competition, you know. Um, 
let's go lose. You know, that's almost the attitude you have to do is let's go lose. Because if I win, I've learned nothing. So let's go push what I know. Because I know I'm not a GM today. Am I a GM today? So let's go find how somebody can beat me. And then let's go home and figure out how I can fix that. But you have to go in it with the attitude of, I'm just not there yet, which is why you have to go to tournaments. Right. You know, that's actually, it's funny you say that because that's a question I get all the time from, uh, in particular, not adult students, but parents of scholastic students that I work with, you know, is he ready yet? Or is she ready yet? Are they ready yet? What's your take on that? I've heard varying opinions for kids, you know, their first experience, whatever. My answer is almost unequivocally Yes. Um, now, obviously that there's some caveats there, you know, I think you have to know the rules. I think you have to know maybe one or two basic checkmates, but as long as you know that you're ready because a tournament is a learning experience, you know, and it's interesting that you, um, approach it that way. I I think that's a good approach, honestly. And especially for kids, you know, um, like my son had had some of those. I, I have one son who he loves chess, but he doesn't understand what what chess is really. He's in a Chicago program where they kind of just put the movie up and then the guy doesn't know chess very well. We were so lucky to have Mike. You know, when we were kids, like Mike was amazing. He was a class A player. He would go through a book. You would show up to class. He would not let you get away with stuff. You know, oh. Despite our best efforts. Is that Rook on the 8th? Remember him saying that? The Rook on the 8th and he'd come around and steal him off the board if you hadn't developed? Right, yeah. If you're if you're not using a piece, you might as well. I mean, Mike was amazing. But, you know, um, kids, you know, a lot of kids don't have it. So they'll go to their first tournament and then it's, I feel a lot of them, they lose and they get discouraged. But I feel like it's, it's a talk you have to have. Well, speaking, you know, speaking of technology, that's, you're right. A lot of kids don't have that um, personal coach these days, but the resources available are, I mean. I think some kids just. We had books written in the 70s, you know, today they've got uh, any variety of video, interactive um, Mm -hmm. problem solving, interactive coaching, you know, uh, video series. um, Yeah, yeah, even chess boards, which light up and show you the the tactic, you know, or the the way the piece moves. It's It's really really grown. grown, um, Yeah, and those kids have the same engines you and I do, but they don't have jobs. Yeah, you're right. You let yours run 24 hours, they can just look at it whenever. Yeah, you know, no, that's true. I mean, my my peak activity in chess was when I when it was when I was a student. You know, didn't have a job, high school, college. So, those darn kids, man. We sound like old men. <laughs> Gosh. Gosh. I don't want to talk about it again. I've been griping for like the past month. Yeah. I am getting old. What do you think about getting old in chess, by the way? You know, that's a good question. It's interesting. Um, it, it seems like players' careers are extending longer now. Yeah, it does a little and bit. I mean, you have a couple of people in their 40s, and uh, I think someone's in their 50s. I can't remember. Gelfin, Gelfin, I think. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, not short, only that. Uh, up there, isn't he? Yeah, but I mean, like, it's interesting because it, it sort of mirrors, um, like, real sports now. You know, I mean, players play well into their 30s. Look at the NFL player. We have quarterbacks, you know, Brady's in his 40s, Brees, I, Drew Brees, I think it's in his 40s. Yeah, he's pretty close. So to that. Yeah. we have um, another another benefit of technology, right? We're extending the the, the playing careers of, of athletes. And I do consider chess players athletes. Did you see that ESPN article recently about how many calories you burn playing chess? No. 
Um, and really good read. I would, so I'm plugging ESPN here. You're welcome. We need a sponsor for the show. You can <laughs> hit me up anytime, guys, over there at ESPN. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it wasn't surprising to me. Um, but, you know, playing competitive chess, I believe the number, and I'm just oh, yeah. taking a shot, but I think it was 6,000 calories a day. Oh, I believe it. Playing competitive chess. Chess is exhausting. Like, people don't, people don't get that. Um, if you're really playing that much and just the focus, mm-hmm. chess is exhausting. Yeah, you know, I always used to say I was more tired after one chess tournament than like, you know, I could go play in a soccer tournament for a weekend, run a track meet, and I would never come close to the amount of fatigue I would feel at the end of like a four round chess tournament. Yeah, you know, not even a long one, a short yeah. one, like a one day. Totally agree. I mean, for me, it was like, I like that, that sheer level of exhaustion doesn't approach anything I've ever experienced except um, you know, surgery rotation, you're getting, you know, sleep deprived, have to think all day. It's, it's just, you know, maybe it's just getting old, but uh, I don't know. Like it used to be a lot easier. I feel yeah. Nigel talks about that. You know, Nigel's all into health now, you know, you Nigel got, short yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was reading about his thoughts on it. He said he had an interesting take, which I hadn't heard. I, you know, you hear it, you get older and your memory gets crystalline. It's not as fluid as it is. So it's, it's that you can't teach an all old dog new tricks kind of a thing. Mm. But Nigel said, no, I, I still think as well as I used to. He said, for him, the only difference between then and now is just his energy levels, which is where he focuses, you know, the healthy. He's got to exercise. I think he goes swimming. I can't remember, something like that. But he's he's very health conscientious. Hmm. And he says that's extended his career. Yeah, I think you see that amongst a lot of the players these days, you know, the um, maintaining a uh, uh, Strong physical um, oh, yeah. regimen or routine or well, whatever. Magnus plays uh, soccer. I mean, we've seen that he's, he's pretty athletic. The ESPN article I think mentioned, you know, Fabi's running routine. Fabiano Carroll. Oh, really? Running. Yeah, I didn't know that. Hmm. That's a good read. Like I said, need a sponsor, guys. So Bobby yeah. Fisher was pretty athletic, wasn't he? I'm trying to remember. You've read the books more than I. He was certainly a skinny guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't know much more beyond that. Um, but yeah, it, it is. It's a different land. You know, you were talking about a different landscape for computers. Um, it's a different landscape for adult competitors these days. Yeah, it's, um, it's it kind really of is. shifting ground a little bit. Yeah. And you broke that landscape. You you took the plunge. Oh yeah. Well, honestly, I got back into tournaments. I don't see the need to be perfect anymore. Like when I was a kid, like what's the best move? I used to obsess about that. You know, it's not about that anymore. No. <laughs> said said the gentleman letting eight towers and. Yeah. Eight, eight towers at home <clears throat> run for 24 hours <laughs> to find the absolute best okay. move Fair to enough. 50 gigabytes of depth. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. But, but <laughs> tell us more about <laughs> Touche. So no, it, it gets a little, when you, when you do enough, like, okay, at this point I've been doing what a year and a half of the engine analysis. Sure. The trickiest part that I've encountered is playing humans. Yeah. Um, sometimes when you put it on a board, the second best move is the best move. Not, not I, I don't even mean like the, the best move, but I mean against a person. Um, like let's take a drawn position with not much initiative going on, and uh, play it against the other guy. I have space; he doesn't. Right? I have uh, my pieces developed. He's got his developed, but he's squished. You know, t- yeah. typical compact. Not many people do well with that. You know, especially at the like you know, less than GM level. That's a win in itself, and the computers don't get that. Yeah, I mean, um, 
I mean, there's definitely a, a line to be drawn for like practicality. Do you want me to show you a line that sort of illustrates that exactly? Sure. Yeah. I mean, here, let's switch the board, but I'll show you exactly what I'm talking you about. You know what we'll do because it's very hard to visualize chess moves. Oh, yes, yes, yes. We'll, we'll put these lines up, including the Getsupest. Okay. We'll have a link to these variations. And if anybody wants to know my exact setup, I, I have no problems sharing. I just felt it was going to be and then and then and then <laughs> too lengthy to get into exactly but, what you do yeah but i mean it is really simple at the end of the day you're using google chrome and drop blocks i mean that's the technology and i'm assuming that you're you mentioned you had them hooked up to your tv so you're probably like remote desktoping or something like that oh yeah i mean uh, it was great because chrome has built-in remote desktoping which okay. allows right. you yeah. to chrome, chromecast or something like yeah that. i mean it's all built into chrome so i mean you're, you're really using stuff that everybody would recognize there's nothing crazy about it and, you know, the only thing that costs anything was uh, um, Chess Tempo. Right. You know, the rest of it was just by the Other computer. than they had computer towers. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, show me this line. We'll put this up on the, uh, on the website so viewers can follow along with what we're talking about here. Or listeners, excuse me. Sure. Wow, sure. Word. sure. Um, yeah, okay, so D4. Mm -hmm. And then um, let me stop and pause for a second just to make sure. So we're going to start like a Knight F6. C4, C5, D5. So you like started the Benonki, uh, the Benoni or the, uh, I almost called it the Benonki. The, the Benoni or the Benko. Oh, the Benko. Yeah, yeah. So it's that sort of a starting setup. You know, D6, we'll just play that first. Uh, knight to um, C3, thank you. G6. And then let's play E4, Bishop G7. Knight G E2 is a line that I like that I stole from Magnus. Okay. I've done a lot of engine analysis. And he probably so. stole from someone else. Yes, he did. But you know, <laughs> it's a good one to steal. Um, knight G, E2, castles. Knight G3, rookie 8. Okay. Bishop E2, E6, castle. Takes. Okay, so you're a very strong chess player. If you wanted to give yourself... The best chances to win this game. How would you recapture the decision? So E takes D5 was a move played. And I mean, yeah. you know, the, the common idea is to take back C takes D5 because then you maintain the idea of F4 and E5. And Perfectly awesome. I mean, most people would answer that. It's theoretically the right answer. You're asymmetrical in the pawn structure now. Right. Right. You have some pressure with a pawn push. Um, you don't have any major developmental issues. You have space. I mean, it, it makes sense, right? Right. So, but of course, the engine's running on eight computers. No, no, no. That was, and actually, the engine agrees. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, the engine agrees there. But I'll tell you, my success rate with this over the board in uh, slow and and blitz is hor horrendous. Hmm. The knight on g three can be a little tricky. You can end up with like f three pushes to. You got to get your knight. Right, because h five, h four. Sometimes it's the knight. Or yeah, the I mean, the, the computer says you know, in twenty moves, you'll have something that will look like an advantage. It's not as easy as you think, um, and it doesn't. It doesn't look like the way to glance, but I'll say the other way, right? So let's okay. take e take yeah. E takes d five, right? And again, we'll put these lines up so players can follow along. Yeah. So so now what you have is a totally symmetrical position, right? Locked in the middle, sure. right? Um, without a clear target. This is this looks very dryish. Yeah, I would agree. People, it doesn't look as as critical. I, right? I'll win this nine out of ten times against um, a master level easily. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at it, this is what we're talking about. Where's the, the bishop go? Where's the space for black? 
Where's I remember you played this line against me actually, and I thought you had no idea what you were doing. And then, and then well, I, was I, like, I, I think I, get, <laughs> yeah. I think I crushed you in that one. I was in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't look like much. It really doesn't. Hmm. Now you said the engine agrees though. So, so how did you stumble across? Were you using computers to stumble across this idea? Mm. So uh, there is a. Um, did you just play? Well, there's, there's, just a, play there's, there's a Chicago's Blitz. One of Chicago's Blitz legends is Thomas Murphy. Okay. He's, he's amazing. The guy's from, uh, he's been around Philadelphia, New York scene. Okay. You know, he's, he's, a, uh, he's a master. And this was his idea that he? No, honestly, he was crushing me so many times repeatedly. And he was, he's an awesome person to play against for me. Because he would say, okay, you want to play it again and again and again and again. You know, and, and we're, he, was he crushing with the e tanks He was crushing in the yeah, okay. so theoretically was... correct position. Right. So you just started playing the other one? Well, I just got frustrated and I did it once. And then he, I'll ask him what he thought about it, you know, a couple of times. Like, how, how did that feel? And he said, well, it was very difficult to play against. You yeah. know. And have you done some uh, engine analysis on this line after testing it out? Yeah. And honestly, I took a deeper look at the engines. The engines say, yeah, there's something there. But Black has to kind of like let you have like one little movement. Like if you get F4 in, that's incredibly going to be dangerous for you. You know, everything starts to line up. Ignore the file. It's weird, sort of like you know. It's a weird approach. What we were talking very, about earlier. Yeah, right? I mean, it's it's, it's, it's a, it, yeah, exactly. I mean, but it's who would think about this, you know? But I mean, this can get incredibly dangerous. Incredibly yeah, fast. I remember. I, I had to face it one time. I recall. Yeah. Oh yeah, and you know, and it's it's very. It looks blasé. I mean, you would look at this, and I would look at this and say, I, I don't, I don't see much. Yeah, there's not much here. But it 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 opens up fast. It, it does, yeah. Or if you do the other way, you know, um, we're in a Benoni. How do you ever get the push in? you got to reposition literally everything. Mm. You know, um, we're limited. Uh, seeing that. I would imagine with a knight on G3, though, maybe that's not the, the whole idea, right? Yeah, there must be something else. It's almost misplaced, too. You know, I mean, seeing this through with exactitude is going to be challenging for us. We're, we're not we're not that good. So know? what's interesting is, is actually I'm just going to point this out because it's kind of fascinating. Um, as opposed to taking the computer perfectionist approach, mm -hmm. <laughs> you've actually taken a, taken a very practical approach to the position mm -hmm. and then followed it up with extreme amounts of 50 gigabyte engine analysis. Well, anything you do on an engine, you have to follow it up with empirical, I'm going to try it and see how it works. Mm -hmm. Anything like that. I mean, we t you know, the computers will find ways to defend things that we thought were indefensible. But like we were talking about, if you don't understand it, it you're, doesn't matter. You're you're gonna lose. So it's it's takes a lot of practice, even with the engine. It's it is kind of a rabbit hole, even with the perfect answers. Well, Henry, um, thank you very much for coming on and, and chatting with me. Uh, I, I hope our our listeners find this sort of thing as fascinating as I do. You know, this intersection of chess technology, practicality, anti-chess mm -hmm. um, that computers and particularly, um, you know, in-depth computer analysis has, has introduced to our game. Um, so I really appreciate you coming on to chat. Oh, not a problem. Um, hope I didn't, hope I was <laughs> concise with my, I think so. I mean, I, I think I followed most of what you were saying and, and okay. your explanations made sense. So thank you. Um, any parting thoughts you wanted to, uh, to share with everyone? No, but I, I was sincere. If anybody does want to know us, exact hardware anything um, I don't mind sharing that so
Cool. Mm. Great. And we'll get these variations. In particular, if you don't mind, I'd like to put the Getsapest up there. Oh, go for it. Those are some just goofy-looking lines. Aren't they hysterical? Yeah, we'll put those up there for people to play through and amuse themselves. I was very amused when you showed it to I, me. I think the first time we played it over the board, I, I uh, <laughs> you were black, I was white, of course, yes. and I trapped your queen on H2. I kept trying to, like, make... <laughs> yeah, I kept trying to make stuff work, and it just... I couldn't make anything work. So. I trapped your queen on H2 by moving my rook to A2. Yes, it was very weird. <laughs> and the goofy thing was, it was actually thematic. I'd seen it a couple times before. In like the lines, the analysis lines? Yeah, everything's on the eighth row, but it's developed. Go figure. Hmm. Well, cool. Thanks again, Henry, and uh, we'll get those variations up. Thanks for coming up. Sure, sure. Thank you for listening to the Chess Underground, a U.S. chess podcast. Please check out our entire suite of podcasts, which release every Tuesday, and include Ladies' Night with Jen Shahad, as well as Chess Life cover stories and One Move at a Time with Dan Lucas. Until next time, signing off, Pete Karyanis.